The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Welcome. So grateful to have you here. And um, I'm really excited about our guest today. And before I introduce him, I want to say hello to the people who are behind this technology that gets us onto, let's see, Facebook Live on two different pages, both Transformation Talk Radio, as well as Christine Upchurch's professional page. Uh, it gets on transformationtalkradio.com. It ends up on KKNW AM 1150 in the Seattle area, uh, and also after the fact in numerous podcasts. So I want to say hello and thank you to Olivia at Transformation Talk Radio. Good morning. And I want to say hello to Benny Mathers at KKNW. I missed seeing you in the studio, Benny. Oh, I miss you too, Christine. And let me just throw this one out there. So if we're behind you, who is behind us? That's a good question. I, I know, know, right? There are, like, <laughs> there are plenty of people because I've seen the, the humongous room of equipment and people back there maintaining it. And then, of course, there's a power company and the internet provider, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, all right answers, all right yeah. answers. Just and give them to you. <laughs> not, not, not to mention the cleaning staff and um, other people who are in security there. I mean, it's 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 huge, right? Yeah, you proved your and point. We'll give you another one. There, you get you another one. Right? And beat us. It's like it's 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 there's a there's a huge support staff uh, yeah. because we humans are fully connected with you know everybody else. Mm -hmm. You're I'm excited about our guest today. He has had a very adventurous life, and that in and of itself would have made a great book all by itself. But he also happened to have a near-death experience. We're going to go to a quick 60-second break, but when we return, I'm going to introduce an amazing man, and he had a very different kind of near-death experience, so you don't want to go away. Stay tuned for the other side of 60 Seconds for The Christine Upchurch Show. The Vibration of Change that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Thank you, Benny, for coming up with something creatively appropriate for the music. Um, our guest today is Jim Bruton, and he has had an amazing life. 
He's an Emmy award-winning wildlife filmmaker. He's a vintage aircraft aviator, a world adventurer. He's the inventor of the satellite video phone, which allows us to connect with anybody you know, on the news in any location. He's an NBC, he was an NBC News Middle East war correspondent. And he had an incredible near-death experience after a horrific plane crash. Fascinating story. He's also the author of a wonderful, fascinating book called The In-Between, A Trip of a Lifetime. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Jim Bruton. Hey, Jim. Hi, Christine. Hi, everyone. How are you today? Doing well. And um, Jim, I'm so fascinated by your book. Now, I've read lots of books about near-death experiences. And here on the show, we've had Daniel Brinkley, and, and the, who had an amazing near-death experience back in 72 and has had others subsequently had Dr. Raymond Moody, who's done all this research with near-death experiences. But I have to tell you, your near-death experience was very unique and fascinating to me. And before we get into that, I just want you to share a little bit about your adventurous life, because it's amazing. When, when I look at your bio and when I read about your story, I thought, this sounds like three or four different people, you know, the things that you've done. What was your upbringing like and what led you to be inspired to, to live such an adventurous life? Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, yeah, w when you look at all the uh, hopscotch moves I've made through life, you wonder what, what's the continuity there. And honestly, uh, just take a, a young child who has a big imagination and doesn't take no for an answer. And growing up in the 60s, uh, there were you know several things there that could distract a, a kid like me. One, I like to watch wildlife films uh, on television or Wild Kingdom, which is a very popular animal show, came on every Sunday night. I remember that. Yeah, I watched it too. Yeah. Followed by The Wonderful World of Disney, which also fueled my imagination because Walt Disney had a real love for technology and futuristic stuff. So mm -hmm. that and thumbing through popular mechanics every week to see when we were going to get the flying saucer in our garage or go to the moon for tourism in the year 2000, which was still a ways away. You know, as a kid, again, the, the whole notion of science fiction and its infinite possibilities was very exciting. Uh, and then my dad became a pilot in the early 1960s. And so I got interested in aviation, but again, from my quirky point of view, which was vintage aviation, when air aviation was brand new, say around World War One or just before that or just after that, because it was an age of discovery in which you'd go out, try something, come back to the barn, tweak a few wires, try something else. And, and so that was a lot of fun. Um, so if you take those few things the, and, and you take them out into the future, you're right, I, I got to live in Africa uh, making wildlife films, just like my heroes on television when I was younger. I got an Emmy for work with National Geographic. Uh -huh. And then it was while I was out there that Disney came out to scout a location for a film, and they had a prototype satellite phone. And I was so remotely situated from anyone else, I thought, huh, instant communication from my way out here. I asked, has anyone ever pushed video over such a system? And they didn't know. And I said, I'm going to figure out how to do it. It took me a couple of years, but I did. And I was the first and the only one in the world to be able to do it for a while. And with that, mm -hmm. I traveled far more than just I had with wildlife filming. Uh, all uh -huh. seven continents, I field produced the Titanic for Discovery wow. Channel. 
I became a lecturer at Yale University School of Medicine, integrating my system to these really cool science fiction type of biometrics that were destined for the space station. So when I integrated them, where else did we want to go test it than Mount Everest? So we went there two years in a row uh, <laughs> to do that. And eventually the dot-com bubble burst and the only people left with any money to pay me to do what I could do were the major news networks. And I made a joke one time saying, wow, I've gone from sharing the most beautiful places in the world to some of the worst. <laughs> right. So um, with that, I became eventually a war correspondent for NBC News. I was uh -huh. in Afghanistan, Iraq, Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, um, just bouncing around because my system allowed us to go live with video from places formerly impossible. Okay. And that, you know, so I was building up more systems for more of our teams to be able to use in the field. And that um, that culminated in the the last operation um, that was in the year of 2003 when we were in Iraq, and I was embedded with the Marines there. And actually, I uh, I enjoyed my time with them, mm -hmm. and it was um, it was an amazing experience. And anyway, after that, you know, coming up to my third dream, which brings us up to our NDE as well. Um, when I retired from that, I. Uh, my family said, well, why don't you build those air airplanes you've always talked about? I said, yeah, you're right, I should. So I built my first one, which was a reproduction World War I fighter. It was a very faithful reproduction. It flew well enough, and then I sold it, and I built the second airplane, which is a very whimsical design called a Flying Flea from 1933. Um, it looks kind of like a soapbox derby car, something that small. But you had a wing above you, right behind your head, and a big motorcycle engine and propeller right in front of your face. And it looked, like I said, it looks like something out of a Disney cartoon. So it was on my second test flight with that that I lost my engine and crashed. And that really. And before we get into the NDE, I, I really am very curious. You've talked about all these childhood dreams mm -hmm. and how your your attention went towards you know several things that eventually you worked in, worked with. Um, what do you think it is about who you are that allowed you to manifest these things um, so freely, so easily? Not that it didn't take a lot of work, mind you, but sure. um, it, it just seems fairly unique that somebody could manifest so many different types of, of careers. Right. It's interesting. Um, first of all, like I said, I think it's just having this very powerful imagination and sense of curiosity and, uh -huh. and at no time sensing that it was impossible. It was like, no, this is possible. We can do this. Right. And I'll be honest, you know, there, we, there is no self-made person. We all need people to help us yeah. uh, say, make that transition in this case, professionally from one career, almost like one incarnation to another. Uh -huh. And I was thinking about this the other day and I would say 90% of the times that I came to those crossroads of where I was going to transition or I needed help transitioning, uh -huh. there was, it was with a woman. In a, and I mean, I talk a woman in IT, you know, which is predominantly a male world, uh -huh. wildlife filming, same thing. It's amazing the partnership I've been blessed to have with women who had ability, influence, and the interest to hear me out. And in our exchange, I guess there was just something about me painting the picture of where I wanted to go that they could see where they fit into that picture and they could emotionally connect to it and then they would help me. 
I mean, even the first video phone I had was like a desktop unit that AT&T sold in the office supply store. But it was a woman at Bell Labs, uh, Wendy Weinstein. And she totally got on board with the idea of me being able to go live from water holes all around the world to children in classrooms on the internet. So uh -huh. I could, I mean, it, it's, if I just named each one of these women and how they were significant, we probably have another show, but they were and still are amazing. And I remain in touch with all of them. That's what's really That's cool. Great. That's yeah. great. And, and I know that there was a, a, a woman who convinced you to write your story too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Mary Helen Hensley's been on this show before too. And uh, yeah, and it's, and it's an amazing story. Okay, so let's get back to the second test run with this, um, this plane that you had built, right? Sure. sure. What happened? Right. Well, I, um, I'd flown it on October 3rd, 2016, and that was the first test flight, and I wasn't really happy with it. So I went out three days later on the 6th to master its quirks or, you know, try and at least ne negotiate with it. And I um, was making my second pass around the field when I lost my engine. It just quit. Didn't know why. Couldn't panic. Couldn't do anything other than just work to get the engine started. And because of the dirty aerodynamics, as we say, of a vintage airplane, when you cut the power, it comes down pretty quickly. It doesn't have this beautiful glide ratio. So I wasn't able to make it back to the airfield. So the only other place left to go was a, a small pond at a nearby Boy Scout camp. So I aimed for that, overshot the lake, and but it uh, about six feet off the ground. So now I'm aiming right at all these tree trunks at 70 miles an hour, again, in the equivalent of a soapbox derby car. <laughs> and, you know, I crashed into them and I came to a stop pretty quickly. And when I did, there was no aircraft left around me. It was all matchsticks. And luckily, luckily, there was a man fishing nearby who saw everything and he rushed over. He uh, was able to call on his cell phone, 911, who sent a helicopter in, and he kept me propped up so that I could breathe because both my lungs were ruptured, all my ribs were broken, oh. my right leg had multiple fractures, I had a hole in my lower back because of the battery breaking loose and hitting me oh. again at 70 miles an hour. So I was, um, I was in pretty bad shape, but uh, the helicopter crew got there very quickly and pulled me out of the wreckage and flew me up to Hartford, Connecticut's trauma center. And there was a waiting team there for me. And um, they were great anyway. I don't have any memory of this. This is all what was told to me after how things went down. Right. But um, when my family and friends got there a couple hours later, they saw, you know, I was in a breathing machine. I was intubated into my throat with a tube for breathing. Mm -hmm. All kinds of other tubes were coming in and going out of me. and um, the surgeons said, you know, we have a week long, uh, amount of day long operations. We could lose them at any time. I think one of the operations only had a 2% chance of success. Wow. So with that, they, uh, agreed to put me into a coma for that week, you know, just so that I would be obviously resting and to the extent I could begin healing that, but it would certainly make their lives easier. So, it was agreed that that's what would happen. And the way I see it, the, at the moment they put me into a coma here, that's when my near death experience began. Uh -huh. Okay, so, so many of the near death experiences 
people talk about the bright light, you know, going down a tunnel, seeing loved ones, having a life review. Um, what was yours like? <laughs> no, 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 and no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have I didn't have a lot of the typical hallmarks of a, a near death experience such as traveling through the tunnel or seeing deceased loved ones, seeing angelic beings, having what I would call a life review in its typical manifestation. Um, for me, it was more like I just teleported there. And it, the picture over my shoulder, well, for, for anyone who could see, uh, shows a post-apocalyptic landscape. Imagine a huge city a thousand years after total destruction. You have the idea of what it looked like. It was very gray and very dead. And looming overhead were these enormous storm clouds just getting ready to break loose with the mother of all storms. Everything was in shades of gray. However, I wasn't afraid and I didn't have a sense of dread or anything. I was just taking it all in non judgmentally. Um, but as I looked around, all of a sudden I was hit by this wave of nausea. And when that happened, I said, I don't think I can stand this. When I said that, my attention was suddenly attracted to this large sculpture off to my left uh -huh. that looked like a four-story, about 50-foot-high um, egg made out of open latticework. And within it, I could see these slight movements in the air, and that's what um, was making the slight clacking noise. So I made my way over to this egg, and I looked through the open latticework, and inside I could see suspended all these gears and they were just sort of free floating in space and moving in sort of idling, moving slowly and even through each other in a physically impossible manner. Mm -hmm. Now these were a special kind of gear that I can't say I've ever seen, but in research later, I said, okay, I get it. They're called sector gears. They're, they're a section of a full gear. When we think of a gear, we think of a circle with little teeth. Sure. There's a small section and you find them in clocks. The reason is they sweep back and forth, meaning they have a beginning, a middle and end to their motion. <clears throat> and why that's significant is because when I looked at them, some were more in focus than others, <clears throat> excuse me. And some um, were, like I said, moving in and out of each other. Excuse me just a second. <clears throat> and I, um, I realized when I looked at them that what they represented played as a video feed inside my head. Okay. And I saw that these were from my future because I might see myself as an older person. I might see my children who currently have no children as parents in their own right. Uh -huh. And so um, <clears throat> at some point I um, reached my hand through the latticework to see if I could touch the gears. And when I did that, one gear brushed by my hand, and I was immediately racked with extreme nausea. Uh -huh. Reflexively, I grabbed it, pulled it out through the latticework, and threw it away. And when I did that, all the gears started recycling again, as if they were adjusting to missing one. Right, <clears throat> right. And I, um, I remember saying, you know, what's happening or what's going on? And this disembodied voice spoke, and it remained with me throughout the experience, and it said, this is the process of becoming. This is the birthing of the future into the now. And I said, okay. I said, basically, you know, where am I? I said, you're in the in-between. Uh -huh. I said, what does that mean? I said, you're in between everything. You're standing inside the impossible now, the eternity of a single moment. And I said, so at some point, I think I probably said, that doesn't make any sense. And it said, 
where are, can you remember the world to which your body belongs? And I honestly could not. Uh-huh. I could not. I had no attachment to this place or anyone here. And I said so. And it said, you see the truth and how the past is dust. And, you know, at some point I said, you know, how did I know I could remove that gear? You know, it said, it said that these were all the probabilities in my future floating uh-huh. around. And I said, how did I know I could remove that one? It said, why else are you here? I said, I have no idea. And it said, basically, I was there understanding that I was being given this golden opportunity to, as I call it, stack the deck, to remove potentially bad choices in my future, ones that would be to my spiritual detriment. And in so doing, it's like, you know, you're removing the rocks and the briars and all the obstacles, building a bridge across a chasm of days in the future that you'll come to um, in order to just make it easier for me to be a better human being and to evolve in a better way. I, so, I love that it was that it's geometric because I mean, I'm a former mathematician, statistician who went into healing after, you know, healing myself of cancer. So it's the geometry, like I often will see things, certain aspects of our reality, you know, the, the ethereal reality in, in geometry. So I absolutely love that that's the way you were perceiving choices and probabilities. And it, 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 although it seems odd, you know, relative to other near-death experiences, it makes perfect sense to me on some level. <laughs> it's funny, you know, when it was after I got out of the hospital and way after my near-death experience that in researching it uh, more deeply, that I would get these news feeds of what I call cons- consumer grade um, quantum physics. You know, some new discovery right. about entanglement or time or things like uh-huh. that. And I realized I was getting more insight around my near-death experience from studying quantum mechanics uh-huh. uh, than my old mystical books from the East. Not that those are without value, but it, I started downloading all these books for my afternoon drives to listen to about, again, uh, the merging of philosophy and quantum physics. And sure. just, some, I mean, it's like, it just sounds like magic when you hear uh-huh. it spoken of. Um, for an example, you know, when I was told I was in the impossible now, that eternity of a single moment, quantum physics has uh, entangled two particles, radioactive particles, and put one in a particle accelerator. And in accelerating it up to close to the speed of light, they've actually put it into a different time frame than its entangled yeah. mate. Yeah. With the idea of saying, okay, now, does it still hold true? that what we do to one instantly happens to the other. Uh And it did. The corollary of that is this possibility that there are two entangled particles, one at the beginning of time and one at the end of time, wherever Uh and whenever that is. It could be a universal way. But when you change one, you instantly change the other. Uh So that we're doing that between the beginning and the end of time means the only thing in the middle is the present. Right. 14, so far, 14 billion years of present. There is no past and future. It's just an artificial construct we've created in order to serialize the unfolding of information and call it a story. Over mm. on the other side, you get it all at once. Why? Because there is no time or time flows differently. Uh-huh. So there you get you get the whole thing all at once. Whereas here, even though you may have gotten it all at once, you still have to play it out over time in order to understand it in this particular frame of reference. Right. I, I'm so fascinated by this because um, I've I've had 
dreams and have you know read some of the quantum physics and what you're doing is explaining this um that makes some sense it's hard to, to really grasp my linear brain around it sometimes um, but it, it feels like everything is happening simultaneously and we have the potential to expand the now um, through choices and stuff and that blows my mind um, and one of the things i'm so fascinated by is this concept of parallel realities mm-hmm. um, and I know you've had some experience with that. I know that you've gotten some perception based on your experience. And we're going to go to a quick break. When we return, let's talk about these multiple timelines, maybe jumping timelines, and how that's relevant to the way we as linear beings, in some sense, linear thinkers, um, how we're choosing to live. Stay tuned for more of this amazing story with Jim Bruton here in just a few moments. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. As a former research statistician, my scientific background is what many would call sensible. For more than a decade now, I have been working in the field of energy medicine, facilitating sessions and teaching around the world. People from the mainstream often ask me, how did a sensible woman like you end up working in such an alternative field? Implicit in their question is the underlying assumption that the field of subtle energy, such as energy healing and intuition, isn't sensible. But I believe it is very sensible. Even scientists are able to measure aspects of this. Approaching life from an energetic perspective brings us new opportunity for healing and transformation. And from a practical standpoint, even if you can't rationally explain how something works, if you experience a shift from it, then doesn't it make it pretty sensible? Please visit StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. How to lead a happier life on Miles to Go with Brittany Miles. How to lose to gain it all. Join Brittany every second and fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Listen as coach and healer Brittany Miles shares stories that teach you about surrender. For more information about Brittany, MilesToGoCoaching.com. The vibration of change. That magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On the Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Are you meeting your sales goals? Or maybe your business plan could use a dose of the divine. Tune in to Divinely Driven Results with faith-based business coach Elise Smith on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Coach Elise Smith helps listeners get unstuck from their business plateau and become empowered through divine guidance. Build up belief in yourself and your dreams and learn business strategies that work for you for real lasting results. Learn more by visiting www.DivinelyDrivenResults.com. 
Welcome back to the Christine Eptrich Show here on KKNW AM 1150 in the Seattle area and on Transformation Talk Radio around the world. Uh, you may be listening after the fact on one of the dozens of podcasts it sends up on or on christineuptrich.com. Um, I'm really grateful to have our guest here today, Jim Bruton. He's had an amazing life and a very fascinating near-death experience. He's also the author of The In-Between, A Trip of a Lifetime. So, Jim, before we were talking about this concept of, first of all, everything happening simultaneously on, in some sense, and in, in the impossible now, or however you refer to it, um, we also seem to have free will, or at least the perception of free will. And yet, with through free will, will we're making various choices. Um, you talk a little bit about your experience with jumping timelines. So the, the, you know, the theory is that we have multiple timelines, um, not just like multiple past lives or future lives, but multiple timelines for our, our current life. I've personally experienced one that was very significant to me, seeing myself still living in Lincoln, Nebraska, you know. Um, and I know that you've experienced it too. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about this? Like it's it's the mandala effect if people are familiar with that. It's like, you know, there there there's evidence sometimes that our past isn't what we think it has been. That somehow we've jumped timelines. Go ahead. It's amazing, and I think right after a near death experience, there there's so much going on as you transition back that it's really easy to have some of these experiences, uh -huh. <clears throat> and. First, I want you speaking sort of from the inside out about the experience. You know, what I just said about um, the quantum nature of time, that there's only the present. I think that's a good place to begin because what it's saying is that you will better understand what reality is from a nonlinear approach than a linear approach. Because the linear approach is time-based, right? You know, there's A, right. then there's B, then there's C, and that unfolds to so on and so forth. Yeah. Whereas a non-linear stands back and looks at the motions and patterns that are moving around things. And from those patterns that have information in and of themselves, they realize there are multiple entry points to the problem. Problem in a logical sense, not a problem. Sure. And so from those multiple entry points become multiple pathways to, like I said, better understand what's really going on. And the multiple universe theory, which says that um, at each decision point, at each moment, it's not just the choice you have made that collapses all the other probability waves into a singular particle of reality. It's uh -huh. saying, oh no, they're all decided too. And they all spawn off into their multiple infinite directions. And guess right. what? There's a version of you that goes with them as well. Uh -huh. So when we say we've been everything there is to be, and we've been everyone there is to be from the highest to the lowest. Uh -huh. Yeah. But what's really interesting is that given the concept that there is only now, all of our ideas, all of our understandings about our prior and our future incarnations means we're doing that right now. Now, as mind-blowing as it is to think that we're living a number of infinite lifetimes simultaneously, uh -huh. just think about it. How much more gravity to, does that add to the simple few words, children of God? Mm. And why shouldn't we be able to do that? 
Right. It's just wrapping our head around it. That's a, from a linear perspective. That's difficult. Yeah. Now, parking that for a second, when I returned home from um, the hospital and was sort of getting into the swing of things, uh -huh. one morning I came downstairs, um, you know, or, or butt hopped downstairs because I still needed crutches and, and a wheelchair, rolled uh -huh. into the kitchen to uh, make some coffee. It was very early. It was like 630 in the morning. Uh -huh. And as I did, I, I looked at our pet parrot and the door to its cage was open and it was hanging on underneath, which usually is a symbol of, I feel playful. Come say hi to me, scratch my head. Okay. I was uh -huh. thinking, well, I'll come over there right after I make my coffee. So the coffee's now making. I go back out of the cage and now the door is closed and locked and he's inside. <laughs> and thinking, okay. And then my wife came down because she heard me stirring around and she probably wanted huh. to see if there was something she could do to help. And I said, you're not going to believe what I just saw. And I described it. And she literally said, maybe the edges of your reality are fraying. Huh. Now, a couple, maybe three hours later, I referred back to the event and to what she said. And she had no memory of it whatsoever. Huh. At all. And I've had other instances like that where <clears throat> we might, so, you know, in a social setting, be with people. And I would swear these two people had an argument and I could have quoted it and what it was about. And it made logical sense that it was something that they had a point of contention about. Right. And my friend who was standing there with me, he would, you know, I was just aware that he was there listening and I brought it up with him about a day later. He had no memory of that whatsoever. Huh. Of course he was concerned. They were fine about things. And I had so many of these multiple instances of, what I was hearing, and I mean, and what I heard wasn't just made up, it would have been actionable intelligence, you know, sure. it's not like I thought she had a pink dress on, no, it was blue, okay, big deal, right? Right. Um, and this was just happening a lot, and then one morning, I woke up in the middle of the night, and saw these, um, and I, ha I think I had an instance of how this works dynamically, the, um, it was in February, the bare tree limbs outside were moving in the wind, Casting uh -huh. a shadow, there was a light far off behind them, casting a shadow on a black wardrobe in my bedroom. And when I watched this moving cyclical motion, my mind started flip-flopping between linear and non-linear. And this is what it does when I first wake up in the middle of the night, which convinces uh -huh. me I'm going somewhere else. I just don't sure. always remember it, nor do I need to. Mm -hmm. um, but as I looked at it linearly, it sort of turned into like an old black and white film, if you will. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds strange. And the thing is, all I was being shown was it was important to understand that there was a story here. And again, uh -huh. the story was when I was looking at it linearly. And then my mind would flip back to being nonlinear, and I couldn't appreciate the past scene or anticipate the future scene. I could only take in the scene I was looking at right at that very moment. And as soon yeah, as it was gone, it was forgotten. So it's like I've, I've said, it's like taking someone who has amnesia to the movie theater. It might be uh -huh. entertaining for a couple minutes, and it probably gets irritating after that. What's happening next? What just happened? So, uh -huh. but I was flip-flopping back and forth, and I knew I was flip-flopping in order to exercise that capability of flipping from the linear, I can understand how this is playing out, to the non-linear, right. where you understand everything in a single moment. And then I probably either went back to sleep or stayed awake and went and did something else. But these are the things, and I, and I think 
to um, better dig in to the, the multiple timelines or multiple universes, uh-huh. we really need to practice it, again, more from the inside out of how to process information non-linearly. And the only way to do that is to become present. And the ways in which people become present are many. Certainly meditation is one of those goals. When our thoughts come to a still point, that is, that singularity does represent the present. Being in the impossible now represents the present. So anything that can slow time down is, is is something to consider in the art of letting go and the art of becoming present. I, my first experience with another timeline was when I was, I was just awakening back in, I don't know, it was probably about 16, 17 years ago before I'd ever heard of parallel realities. And I saw myself living in a state that I had moved from at age 15, different hairstyles, sitting at a table, smoking a cigarette. I don't smoke a cigarette in this life. Um, And I was feeling something in my chest and I was telling her, you need to stop smoking because it's affecting me over in this one. And I realized, oh, no, I can't have a barrier between them. And I thought, this is really strange. Ultimately, you know, I thought, strange experience. I've had numerous ones of those, just put that away. And then almost 10 years later, I had another experience. And and I won't go into detail about it, but I had a major healing, sort of comparing the two lives sort of on a vibrational level. Um, And I'm thinking, that's just one, you know, that's, that's my father choosing to stay in Nebraska instead of moving us to the East Coast. What about all the other possibilities, you know? Um, And so I kind of wonder if it's, if it's sort of a soul level choice, like, well, this is where I'm going to be focusing right now, because this is where there's the expansion, or if it's just we sort of weave in and out to have the possibility of weaving in and out of these different timelines. What's your perspective on that? You know, if I were going to think about that it, from an initial point of view, I could look at multiple personality disorders. Uh, I mean, people's uh, eye colors change. Yes. I mean, they, they will suddenly have a track of needle marks down their arm, and then they will disappear when they become the next personality. I mean, and, and the, here's another fascinating thing about that. Okay, imagine you, you and I are sitting in a, in a show, and there's an incredible mimic on stage. They can pretend to be anyone and we go, wow, you're so convincing. You sound just like person X, Y, and Z. Sure. Now, if you use a certain kind of like voice analyzer on their voice, no matter what impersonation they do, there there's at least a, a baseline footprint within their voice that will always identify them as that unique individual. Okay. Okay. Whether they're sounding like a man or a woman or, you know, with an accent or something like that, you'll, you could use this to say, yeah, that's Joe. (laughs) All right. Uh Guess what? It doesn't work with people who have multiple personality disorders. When they speak with a different voice, the analyzer will say, no, that's a different person. Uh So what is going on here? And to me, as far as at least having something tangible in front of us to look at, is this, is this, person just nothing more than a nexus of which their multiple lives are passing through and then carry Uh on is this what we're doing over on the other side maybe when we're dreaming here that's what's going on over there why Uh why do we have to sleep one third of our life away and we know we'll die if we don't have it maybe there's this connectivity of our with our multiple selves that's occurring i'm sure there's much more going on during the period we call sleep 
than just sitting there and drooling all over ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in total agreement with you. And um, yeah, it's, it's, we get information and sometimes I wake up feeling really refreshed and other times I feel like I have been so busy during the night. I feel really grateful to wake up um, and, and get out of whatever I was doing, you know, it's, take a break it's from sleeping. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Before we go any further, I want to make sure people know how they can connect with you. What's your website, Jim? Sure. My website is inbetweenproductions, with an S, dot com, inbetweenproductions.com. And there you'll find uh, the full account of my story, um, as well as uh, the media page, which will have your uh -huh. link as well. Uh -huh. And then um, another page, if you just want to reach out to me, um, share with me your experience or want to talk uh -huh. about it or book some time with me or whatever. And of course, the link to Amazon for the book. Right. So, and, and it's a fascinating here. book. It really is. And it's, uh, I, I, again, I, I think it's evidence that we can be powerful manifestors. Mm -hmm. And because you were such a great example of that, but also that reality is weirder than we think it is. And I, I think sometimes if we open up our minds to different possibilities, kind of shifting out of our patterned belief system, that opens the door for new experiences. And so I, I, I think it's a fascinating book to read. So I'd highly recommend it to people. Yeah, I think the, the one of the big tricks there is just don't be afraid. Because mm -hmm. when, when we talk about you know, our other lives, in order to fully embrace that, it's like death to our current performer self. Mm -hmm. And that terrifies us. You know, like the, the whole thing when they say, hey, I was going to sleep and I, suddenly I jumped and they say, yeah, well, you were getting ready to have an out-of-body experience, but you got afraid of dying because yeah, that is what people do when they die. So uh -huh. it's understandable. So we really just have to let go of our fear of death and our fear uh -huh. of change and just look us straight in the eye and embrace it and say, for instance, really dying, it's like changing channels on television. Right. You know, you're sitting there watching a channel, you change it, and once you change it and you're watching your new show, how much are you thinking about the past show? Yeah. It's gone. You know, you're on to the next thing because you're always focused forward. And that's how we have to be. Yeah. So that sort of neutrality, that lack of attachment, I know that you experienced that on in this in-between. Mm -hmm. How has that affected you, Jim, after your NDE? Well, that brings us into some of the after effects and the integration phase after an NDE. And this is something, the, the, the after effects can be amusing. The after effects are what tell you you're not crazy. You know, like the light bulbs keep bursting or the computer's acting up or my cell right. phone keeps going wonky. That's the one thing that tells you it wasn't hallucination, if nothing else. Uh -huh. um, as you move through that, you start to notice ways that are challenging to your relationships. We'll just start there. First, the relationship with yourself. You realize quietly, I'm reacting to everything differently than I did before. You know, uh -huh. my values are different. Maybe I don't get bent out of shape. Maybe I'm more compassionate, more patient. Maybe I look at things with a deeper sense of consideration. Maybe I see more variations of grade between the polarities of good and evil, right and wrong, uh -huh. up and down, things like this. And, and you're able to explore those. And, and when you voice them, people go, wow, that's a unique perspective. And you go, yeah, right. okay, this is. But um, one tough statistic to recognize about this is a tremendous number of people get divorced after a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And I would sense. say, I've heard as high as 78%. 
which is 50% more than the national epidemic of 53%. This needs to, I think, be discussed more. Not in a way that gives us big answers, but maybe bigger, better articulated questions, Mm -hmm. a common body of really good questions that are perhaps specific to NDEers. But we can then, by asking those questions, we can get our own answers that are specific to our situation. I'll be honest, I'm becoming one of those statistics too. But uh, it's not that there are good people and bad people, they're just overwhelmed people. And part of that detachment and change is just understanding that maybe not everyone's up for this journey. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's not that the NDE can makes you perfect, but I would say it definitely points your feet in the direction you're supposed to walk. And right. then walking and- that path, it changes. And I, I've seen that time and time again as a healer, both in my own life and the, in the life of, of my many clients and students over the years. F- like they, they go from either feeling like an outsider to finally finding a tribe that they feel connected with and their spouse or their mate doesn't fit in with that tribe or they realize they've been living a lie. Wow. And so living a lie isn't just about lying to others about who we are, it's lying to ourselves. And when we start to face who we are and our our truth, you know, which can be very different than the mainstream truth and then you know other our partners' truths. It, it's the impetus to step more fully into ourselves, and that that often means letting go of relationships. It's true. I mean, the in between told me one day that the in between itself wasn't a place you go to or come from. It's simply a place you are, and that goes with understanding that here in common life, we see life through the filters we want. You know, if we look in the mirror, we say, wow, I look great today. Or, you know, you go into an interview, yeah, I'm going to nail it because I'm confident. Or you go down on a date and you think, I'm going to be their dream date. Things like this that Mm -hmm. we tell ourselves to just survive life, not even live it. On the other side, though, we see life through the filters we need. And that need may be expressed, as I, I use an analogy here, like I said, we look in a mirror, we see something, right, this is great, no sweeter sound than our own name, when somebody calls it. But on the other side, when we look in the mirror of truth, we mm-hmm. see ourselves warts and all. Yeah. And that can be a very humbling experience, because you don't have those ego filters to... Right you know, change the hue and the color and, and say, yeah, this is, this is it. I am the fruit of the choices I've made. Okay. And so, like I say, I reflect back on my own experiences where I was given the opportunity to make fewer bad choices in the future. They may right. still be wrong. I may still guess, you know, left and when it should have been right or sure. black, white, up or down, or should have sold, you know, a day before, but the intention is everything. And in the intention is the basis of karma. If you can act without intention or desire and only act based upon what is required at that moment, you can act without karma. I love that. And and one of the things I've been thinking about um, relating to sort of jumping timelines. So I, I, I really do believe that when we're in the flow, it's kind of like those parallel realities are sort of coming together and we have the option of taking different paths. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the question becomes, do we need to have the attention to the moment in order to be able to make more positive choices or to, to be in that flow, to go towards like more of a, a sole purpose, if you will? To me, the answer is clearly yes. For example, there's a, there's a picture I saw not long ago 
of a man surfing what has to be the tallest wave in the world. It's off the coast of Portugal. It is so much a monster, it's actually deformed. I mean, this is like what you'd see in a big nightmare. You, you, I mean, you showed a picture of that in, in your book and it's like, no, somebody wouldn't. That's it. Yeah. Now think of how present he has to be right then. In that moment, he cannot entertain any thought of failure. That's for sure. He's not even thinking about, he's probably, he's not even thinking survival. He's just in that moment of this is what I need to do to stay on the board. The ocean will take me where I'm supposed to go, right? Right, right. <laughs> and, but all I have to do is nothing other than keep this board up and me on yeah. it. That's all I have to do. And, and, every, and there are a million things going on that would defy calculus and quantum physics explanations that he's mastered to be able to do that. And mm -hmm. that's how we have to be. We have to live that much in the moment, sometimes being forced to, like he is. Sometimes right. we have to um, have that much abandon and that much passion. And there's a favorite saying I have that on the field of battle, when a samurai draws his sword, but he throws his scabbard away, it's because now he's free to fight his best because he'll never need it again. Mm. That's how it uh. has to be. We yeah. have to be making that sacrifice every moment, not just occasionally, every moment. That is what it is to be present. And again, being present is something you are, not something you do. When, when we I, were told pray without ceasing, again, who can do that? But yeah. if it's a place you come from because it's who you are, then it's almost like you never have to pray. You're living within prayer. You're living within contemplation because every thought is contemplative. And that is nonlinear. And I think about the, as we sort of, when, when we're in that moment, then, then ego is weaker, so to speak, right? Um, and I think about some of the, the disassociation experiences you've had since your NDE. Um, and I've had a couple of those experiences as well, where it's like, suddenly there's, like I haven't recognized my hands. I see my hands moving and it's like, my hands are not my hands. Like, you know, like, <laughs> and psychologists might like put me in a loony bin because they, you know, I'm having this dissociated, but it felt like a very um, spiritual kind of experience. And, and there were moments when you didn't recognize your own kids, right? Yeah, that was amazing. Um, my uh, wife worked, she used to lease jets to people who needed to lease jets. And so you can imagine their holiday party might be pretty cool. So um, our two younger kids who are coming of age, you know, right around 21, they wanted to come, of course. So she said, okay, first you have to, you know, dress nicely and act like an adult, you know, be on your best behavior. Yes, we right. promise. So they did. And, and it was as we were arriving that our uh, daughter had gotten there before us and she was walking across the parking lot to us and she was only about 50 feet away, but I didn't right. recognize her. And I just said to my wife, that's a very put together looking young lady, thinking it was a compliment to a young woman who worked in her office, recognizing us and coming right. over to say hi. And my wife just thought I was making a sort of an objective joke about our daughter. And I was like, uh -huh. okay. And then I, it was when we were walking inside that she kind of stopped shifting and, and became the person I recognized. Uh -huh. And then inside our son showed up and definitely, you know, all, all straight A's across the board. He looked great. He, you know, everything was fine. So we were sitting there near the food, just people watching and talking. And he said, dad, I'm hungry. I'm gonna get something to eat. I said, okay. Uh -huh. Well, he comes back in, you know, like three minutes with his food. And he sits across the table from me and I looked at him and I didn't recognize him. And I was studying his bone structure and I was thinking, 
kind of like with my daughter, very nice looking young man, but I'm a little affronted at how familiar he's acting within my body bubble, within whatever my personal <laughs> space is. Really. And then and then at some point he changed. But I'm very objective about this. I'm just the, the observer. There's no uh -huh. uh, no real emotion yeah. about it. It's just, okay, watching this. And then he settled down to who he was. Now, five months later, uh -huh. uh, my wife, who had been an actress in New York, had gotten a role in a play in the community theater. So right. she was returning to something she loved. And uh, in that May of just last year, she was walking up to the playhouse carrying all the clothes for her scene changes. Mm -hmm. And these same two children I just referenced and I were had gotten there early because we wanted to get a front row seat. Sure. <clears throat> and as we saw her coming up the sidewalk, the two kids were making jokes with her and she was laughing back, but she was shifting uh, as other people. I was thinking first she looked Spanish, then she looked Italian. And I was like, huh. okay. And I knew what, I knew this from the former, that this was the dynamic, but I'm just watching again, waiting for it to settle down into the person I recognized, which it did eventually. Um, so in studying this, I would say there are three things that are, were continuous through these three different experiences. And that was one, their energy state was very high right? The kids okay. had to be on their A game, right? Sure. And and my wife was returning to this thing she loved from 20 years before. So gosh, she's excited, right? And they all three were having to be people other than who they are. Right. The two children had to be adults, so we can't be ourselves. My wife had to be a different character. And uh -huh. you know how it is. We always go before we leave. Uh -huh. You know, like if you're going on a trip or you've been visiting, it could be your last day, but as you're packing your suitcase, you're already halfway out the door in your mind, and your friend is sure. still talking to you, and you're not listening like you should, because you, you're and, not. And, and speaking of that, we're we're we've got one minute left, so tell me the third the third thing. Well, the well, that that was really it. That that the, the main thing to be aware of was when the energy state is high, and you have to be someone else. You can actually project this inner landscape to an empathic person who doesn't just feel it. But they actually can see it. I and love that's, that. That's a really amazing thing. Jim, this is so fascinating. Again, I want people to see the cover of your book, The In-Between, A Trip of a Lifetime. And um, I want to thank you for being here today and for sharing this information because it's, it's a real game changer if you are curious enough and begin to explore the possibilities that go beyond what our, our story is about um, the other side, so to speak. So thank you. Thank you, Christine. It's a pleasure to speak with you today and to speak with your friends and audience. Yeah. And I want to thank you for joining us here today. I look forward to um, talking to you soon. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com, where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.